Amen. Well, hello, Connection Point. I hope you're doing well, uh, whether that's those of you that are right here in the room or part of the online family of Connection Point. It's such a joy to be able to gather and to be able to come out on a weekend and spend with you. I actually got to bring my entire family this time, and so um, that's how much I love you, and I'm loving uh, this area. I also got to tell you, I love your pastor. Pastor John means the world to me. He's always gracious with his words uh, when, when we talk, when I'm here, but I, I just want you to know, some of you know him really well personally, but I want you also to know behind the scenes, this is a man I've known for a long time, and he loves Jesus, and I can't count how many times he tells me how much he loves you, and he loves what's going on in this community, and so it's a, it's a privilege to be able to uh, give him a little bit of a breather, although he still came, come on, take a break, Pastor John, um, <laughs> It's good to, uh, to be able to be uh, together, all in ministry together, because we're all in this together. Now, I love your pastor, but um, a little less this weekend, because this is the Indy 500 weekend. I am a huge IndyCar race fan, and I am here in town on the weekend. It's happening, and I'm here with you. But I, I love you, and I love Jesus more than the Indy 500 even, so this is a good trade. It's a good trade. Uh, several years ago, um, I, I went to a dermatologist for the very first time, and while we were interacting and he's checking out my skin, he kept making this noise, mmm, oh, ugh, that's never a good sign. And eventually he said, here's, here's what I'm seeing. Um, you can't tell without the untrained eye, but you have below the surface the beginnings of skin cancer. You have some stuff going on, in particular on your head and your face, that if we don't treat it now, it's going to make its way to the surface. And so he said, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to treat you with really the lowest form of chemotherapy, and uh, it's a topical cream. He said, you're going to put on gloves, and you're going to cover your whole face and your whole head two times a day for about five or six weeks. And he said, it's not very pleasant. The first couple of weeks, it'll be like a tremendous sunburn, and a couple of weeks into the treatment, it was like a bad sunburn. He said, then what's going to take place is it's going to start to kind of scab and crack, and then about week four or five, it's chewing through layers and layers of skin, and then it will begin to bleed. He said, you're not going to look your best at week four. He said, what do you do for a living? Are you ever in front of people? <laughs> and I told him, and again, he went, ooh. I, it was awful. It was one of the most painful, miserable sorts of things. My kids couldn't touch me. My wife couldn't touch me. I couldn't even touch once I'd put the stuff on. I looked hideous. I felt horrible. In fact, at the I took a picture. At the absolute worst of the treatment, this is what I looked like. And so <laughs> you can see, I mean, how challenging a whole process is. Now, now most of you don't really know me for more than this year. And, uh, and, and so just so you're real familiar, this is what I looked like before the treatment started. <laughs> and I've never quite rebounded to my former uh, glory. 
It made me think, going through that whole thing, one, I was thankful for someone who had the trained eye to see stuff below the surface that I couldn't. It then made me start to think, what if everything that was going on on the inside of us made its way to the outside? Now, sometimes that would be really helpful, right? There were moments where things that were going on on the inside that uh, we didn't know how to articulate. We didn't know how to express. They, they were um, evident in a way that went, oh my goodness, that's going on in there? Let's deal with it. And then there's other times where you go, oh my goodness, if everything that was going on in here made its way out here, I'm thankful that doesn't happen. Because there are so many times where in my own heart and in my own soul, the roller coaster of stuff that's churning up on the inside is not something that I want to be seen on the outside. And we're just gonna take a weekend this weekend to talk about our hearts. Your heart and your soul is incredibly important to God. Do you know throughout the scriptures, the heart is referenced somewhere between 800 and 1,000 times in the Bible depending on what translation you read, which tells me that from God's perspective, our hearts mean an awful lot to him. He's got an awful lot to say about our hearts, what's going on in here. There's a moment in the Old Testament where uh, uh, God is, is going to be selecting a king uh, for the people of Israel, and these brothers line up together, and, and Samuel is tasked by God to be used in the process of selecting this king. And these brothers that are all lined up, I mean, you go down the line, and they're all big, handsome, strong guys. And then there's a little pipsqueak at the end. And that's the one who God has his sights on. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is what the Lord reminds us that the Lord does not look at the things people look at, Samuel. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, thousands of years ago, that moment took place, and it's still true today. It's true across cultures and across time that uh, our hearts matter an awful lot, and yet the tendency is for us to not pay much attention to them. Your heart and my heart is a complicated affair. In fact, Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It's only God that can understand the heart, it goes on to say. And you can even deceive yourself in your own heart about how you're really doing. The heart is a complicated affair. God's very interested in it. But here, here is the crux of the issue. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. In, in other words, your heart determines everything that you say and do. 
everything that you do flows from your heart. Now, the the scriptures are so plentiful about the heart that it's probably important to get a bit of a working definition about what the heart actually is from the Bible's perspective. When we talk heart, your heart and my heart, what what are we talking about? Well, the heart is this. If we go back to that, the, the heart determines every aspect of your life from what you say to what you do, but the heart is also the ruling center of a person. It's the home of the personal life, uh, emotions, will, intellect, morals, and desires. From the Bible's perspective, this is what your heart is. It's the inner you. I would argue that it's the real you. Now, the ancients didn't distinguish so much between reasoning in the mind or in the brain and feelings and emotions in the heart. They didn't separate or distinguish the two. And that's why when the Bible references heart, it's kind of all-inclusive of your mind and your will and your emotions. It's the inner you. And it's determining so much about you. I I want you to just picture for just a minute that that this cup represents your life. Now, none of us like to have an empty life. And and so we we reach out to a number of different things to uh, fill us up on the inside. Because before you and I even have a language for it, Our hearts, our souls, the inner you, the ruling center of you is hungry. The ruling center of you is thirsty and it's longing for things. And that's why we're so drawn to filling ourselves up with something that will satisfy what's going on in here. Now, on a good day, you might reach out for something that isn't toxic or hurtful to you in here. But being human, and as a consequence of sin, it isn't very long before we go, I don't want to feel empty anymore. So we reach out for any number of activities, behaviors, uh, addictions, uh, you name it, that we begin to fill our heart with and now we go okay this is good I don't feel empty inside anymore and yet because what we have ingested because oftentimes the default for me and you is to fill ourselves with things that are not what God would have us fill ourselves with we find out that these sinful behaviors have a corrosive addictive, hurtful effect to your heart and to your soul. We come up with words for it. I've got a hard heart right now. I've got a broken heart right now. My heart feels numb right now. Or if it's not so negative, you've got a full heart. You've got a soft heart oh, that person has a really open heart. 
You need to have some courage. We say you're lion-hearted. See, the heart is a big deal, and yet my journey has been, okay, I don't want to have an empty heart. I reach out for things, sometimes without even knowing, and then sometimes full well knowing what I'm getting into. And I fill my heart with sinful things, only to discover it's toxic, it's corrosive, it's hurtful. But praise be to God. You come to him, and he is full of grace, and he's full of mercy. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we're faithful, we're, we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive. We come to him with a heart full of this stuff, and we confess, which just means to agree with or say the same thing as, God, I agree with you about what I've been doing. It's corrosive to my heart. Please forgive me. And guess what? He does. But the problem is, is that most of us stop here. And now we're back to what? An empty heart, an empty life. And none of us wants to feel that way. And our heart is open and susceptible to all sorts of opportunities for sin. And then I go right back to it. And I talk this way and I engage in that behavior and I engage in those relationships and oh my goodness, I don't want to do that. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry, Lord, please forgive me. He does. Oh, I'm empty again. Oh, okay, Lord, please, please, please forgive me. I I don't want to deal with this anymore, but I'm caught in this cycle over and over again. Is that familiar to anybody, this sort of cycle? And then what compounds it is this. If your heart is filled like this, or if your heart is filled with the the sinful thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, and your heart's continually taking a hit, then when you're around you or you're around other people, guess what splashes out onto everybody else? Whatever was on the inside here makes its way to the outside. What's going on in your heart determines every aspect of your life from what you say to what you do. And so if your heart is filled with this stuff, then guess what's coming out? And that's the heart of where Jesus takes us in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, if you have your Bible in the New Testament, if you're not, not real familiar... You'll go almost, it'd be quicker to go to the back of your Bible, work to the left. You'll hit this gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 6, he's in the middle of this phenomenal story. And he's preaching one of the best sermons ever. And he has some very interesting things to say, and in particular about the heart. We'll take a look. Luke chapter 6, verse 41 through 42. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Next. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? Keep going. You hypocrite, Jesus said. 
First take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, this is a bit of a challenging set of words from Jesus here, but what he's reminding us of is this. We have a preoccupation, you and I have a tendency to focus primarily on the outward behavior of things rather than on the inward heart issue. And then what's more is our tendency is to focus on the outward behavior of other people before we deal with our own stuff. And this whole conversation about a speck and a plank, I mean, it's just that clear visual that Jesus gives saying, hey, wait a minute, why? Why would you get preoccupied with this little speck that your friend or your brother or your sister or family member or coworker is dealing with in their eye and you yourself, you've got this big log coming out of your own. Jesus says, hey, deal with your own stuff first. He's really not prohibiting judgment per se. He's just saying, don't be hypocritical when you do. Deal with your own heart. Deal with the own behavior that's coming from your heart first. And then, then you can actually be used of God to help other people grow. Because the goal is still the removal of logs and specks from each other's eyes in the family of God, right? But Jesus is saying, start with yourself. And then he continues. Look at verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up, here it is, in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words... If you and I spent a long enough time together, you would be able to tell a little bit of what's going on in here by listening to the words that are coming out of my mouth and vice versa. There are some indicators because when it comes to matters of the heart, what is on the inside, Jesus is saying, is going to make its way out good and bad. And if you're taking notes, this is probably a good summary or reminder of that. A guarded heart, Jesus is saying, produces good things. But a neglected heart, a broken heart, a numbed out heart, maybe an empty heart, certainly a hard heart, will produce bad things. There will be behaviors. There will be words. Whatever's going on in here will make its way outside of here. And yet you say all of that, 
and you just stop for just a minute and take a deep breath, you've got real stuff going on inside here. And some of the stuff that has hurt your heart happened a very, very long time ago for you. And maybe it's just kind of sat in the left ventricle somewhere for quite some time unaddressed. Others of you, some of the greatest joy that you've ever experienced in your life. It bolstered your heart. What Jesus is actively doing and you're allowing actively Jesus to do in your heart and your soul is bearing good fruit, showing up in the way that you talk and the way that you're acting and the strength that you have. See, almost everything can come back to the intersection of what's going on in your heart and my heart. And so we need to get good in our own lives at chasing the fruit in our lives to the root. Let's not get hung up on the behavior so much and the exterior so much and miss the interior, miss the root, miss the heart. This is why I'm convinced God has such a, a long discourse about the heart throughout the scripture. It's why Jesus, the living word, is echoing it here in this passage, because the heart, everything we do flows from it. Where he goes next is an interesting question right here in verse 46, 45. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Pause for just a second there. He's in the middle of kind of an intense conversation and then hits him with this question. Why? Why do you call me Lord, meaning ruler of all? I'm in the driver's seat of your life, but then you don't do what I say. It's a good question. Have you ever asked yourself that? I know I've had so many of those moments where I'm, I'm just coming off a bad couple of days. And I will declare right here and right now, Jesus is my Lord. He is my King. He is my Savior. But I'm prone to sin just like you all. And there are times where I look at myself in the mirror and go, why, why do I call him Lord? And then my behavior isn't quite there. Because there's something going on in here. And if I'm just focusing on the behavior to the neglect of my heart and not letting him be the Lord in my heart, I'm missing it. Because the Christian life is not just about sin management. It's an issue of the heart. And this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not, do not do what I say? I mean, that reminds me Another moment when Jesus has people come up to him and say, oh, Lord, we, we, we prophesied in your name and we served and we, we gave and we, we did all sorts of stuff for you. And then Jesus says, some of you, I'm going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. You know, not everyone that looks the part actually is. There's a lot of us who can look really good on the outside. We got all the right behavior. We got all the right lingo. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. 
How are you doing? I'm fine. How can I be praying for you? I'll pray for you. And then we leave and we never do. There are some people that look really good on the outside, but the hearts are far from him. God talks about in Isaiah. These people worship me with their mouths, with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. Connection point, I don't want to be those sorts of people, do you? Whitewashed tombs, look good on the outside and totally dead in here. That's not the Christian life. But also be reminded, sometimes um, the exterior can be deceiving. Because as many times as there are people who look really good on the outside and the hearts are far from him, there's the opposite that can be true. And, and there's many people that don't look, if you look at their life, you look at the exterior, you look at what you can look at, and it doesn't look like their heart's in a good place. It doesn't look like, how could someone that looks like that or be in an environment like that have anything good going on in their heart? I just say, be careful. Remember the prodigal son? And he trashed a relationship with the father. He wastes everything he has. He hits rock bottom. I'm sure he picked up diseases. He lost weight. He's sleeping with pigs. He's filthy and disgusting. Imagine if you bumped into the prodigal son when he's on his way back to the father. Would he have looked the part? No. Was his heart open, soft, and repentant? Yes. Which is then this powerful reminder for all of us. This is so good. This is so key. Only God can truly judge a heart. I'm thankful for that. That's not my job to judge a heart. It's not your job to judge a heart. But what I do believe that is part of our job as followers of Jesus is to keep our hearts constantly before Jesus. You know, King David, he was referred to in the scriptures after, as, as a man after God's own heart. And here's a guy that lived like a roller coaster of a faith journey. When he was on with God, he was really on. And when he was off, he was really off. And yet, the Lord knew his heart. And then there's a, there's a psalm that, that go read the entire psalm this week. It's familiar to many of you, but go reread it if you haven't read it in a while. Psalm 139. It's a psalm that this man, after God's own heart, penned, inspired by God. And in this psalm, it, it closes with these two verses. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Could we, could we make this a prayer? As we're just kind of taking stock this weekend to examine our hearts, put them back on the radar, whether they're doing well this weekend or not so well. Let's take the prayer of David and make that our prayer. Here's, here's what, he, what he says. Here's what he prays. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's the best prayer with regard to your heart and my heart that I think we should pray on a constant basis. Search me, test me, and then lead me. Search me, test me, and then lead me. But now dial that into your heart. Pray that in terms of your heart. Search my heart, the real me, the inner me. Test it, the real me. Sift through the behavior, the exterior, and get to my heart. Test it. And then when you've searched and tested, bring it to the surface. Make me aware so that I can confess and hand it over to you. And now find me just saying, yes, Lord, I will follow you wherever you're wanting to lead me. Out of the numb heart, the broken heart, the beat up heart, the empty heart, the sad heart, the whatever heart that's unhealthy, lead me, God, now to where you want my heart to be. Because then when he's got your heart healthy, because the heart is the wellspring of life because the heart determines every aspect of your life from what you say to what you do. When we're consistently putting our hearts before Jesus and letting him fill it, letting him heal it, letting him encourage it, then he will do just that. And the overflow then of that sort of heart, it is not the overflow of toxic, corrosive junk that we've filled our lives with. But rather, it's filled with him. It's filled with the living word, Jesus, the Christ. It's filled with grace, his grace. It's filled with his mercy. It's filled with his truth. Now, here's what I'd kind of encourage you to do as we take this a step further. You know, you can kind of continue this game if you want to fill your, your heart with the, the junk. And it might take days, it might take months, it might take years for some of the stuff that we've filled our hearts with to make its way to the surface, but it will make its way to the surface. But rather than getting this rat race, this, this unending cycle of Sin, confession, sin, confession, a heart that is doing that. Here's really the beauty and the invitation of Jesus. It is just come to me. Jesus calls himself the living water. And, and rather than even worrying about the junk that's in the heart right now, I'm not saying sin's not a big deal. It is a big deal. But rather than making that the focus, make Jesus the focus. Make his word the focus. Position your heart under the living water of Jesus the Christ. As you read his word, as you pray, as you're surrounded by his people, as you're filled with his love and his grace, as you worship him, his mercy, his truth, everything about who he is floods into your heart and your soul. You are now filled up to overflowing. 
You don't need to be preoccupied anymore with the junk in your heart, but rather be preoccupied with Jesus and watch him fill you. It displaces the sin. It displaces the junk. And now you're not left with an empty heart anymore. Your heart is filled up to overflowing with the grace and the truth and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's the beautiful invitation. That's the beautiful hope that you and I have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, if you get tired, if you're feeling numb, you're feeling broken, you're feeling hard-hearted, Jesus knows. And he loves you anyway. And that's why the invitation is, come to me, Jesus says. All you who are weary, heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. It's not some religious cycle that you and I have to be engaged in. It's a relationship with the living God. And he's the only one that knows the heart, and he's the only one that can really satisfy and heal the heart. So let's let him. I'll be praying for you to that end. Let me do that for you now. And so gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for filling us up. I know for my brothers and sisters that have a relationship with you already, you, you have poured out your love for us. You filled our hearts up to overflowing. Forgive us, Lord, for the times where we we don't come to you. We don't position our hearts before you. We, we neglect what's going on in our hearts. For, forgive us, Lord, even for the times where we, we sin against you and it allows some of this hurt that the enemy really has in mind to fill our hearts rather than what you have in mind with regard to filling our hearts with. So we do confess sin and know that you're faithful and just to forgive, but we also just ask that you would search us at the heart level. You would test our hearts and then you would lead us, our hearts in particular, in the everlasting way of you, Jesus, our King, our Lord, our Savior. Lead us now, even as we lift our voices to you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.